What Jesus is saying is, I'm not describing some particular group of people. I'm describing humanity. I'm describing all of fallen humanity. Jesus sources all these things into the evil things of the heart. That's the source, the source from within. We live in a world today that would explain all these things differently, don't we? We live in a world today that would stop far short of declaring that all these undesirable actions and behaviors and attitudes, well, they have a source, but the source is not the person itself. The source is not some sort of evil inside the person. Instead, we're well accustomed to being told that the root of all these things, these undesirable traits of society and people around us, these, the roots of these things would fall into three categories. Three categories, you've heard these, they all begin with E, education, example, and environment. And that's what our world will tell us. Education, example, and environment. That's where all these things come from. And so all of these undesirable realities of society and the undesirable realities of, of the broken relationships between husband and wife, between parents and children, between friends and co-workers, family members, all these undesirable things really can be traced to one or more of these three things, education, environment, or example. Well, that person has just, they've just had bad examples in their life. It's not that they're evil. They just had bad examples. They've, they've had bad mentors. They've had bad people to look up to. And they grew up looking up to bad examples. And so therefore, they are such bad people. Or they do such bad things. They wouldn't call them bad people. They, they, this is why they do these things. They've had these, these examples. Or perhaps it's just their education. Education could fix this. If we could just get rid of all the illiteracy, if we could just educate everyone, then we can certainly alleviate all these problems of society or environment. You know, that this person just grew up in a bad environment. It was just a bad, just an envi- bad environment to grow up. And that's, that's to be blamed for the bad behavior today. And so we would stop far short of declaring that the heart is the source for any of these things. The problem is that all three of those explanations completely fall apart under their own weight. Anyone who is willing to believe that the source of all the wrong in society around you can be traced to these things, it literally falls apart under its own weight. Because you, beyond the fact that it's really difficult, if not impossible, to honestly look around at the world in which you live and with an honest, straight face say, that the problems of this world are not the problems of people's hearts, but they're the problems of poor environments or lack of education or bad examples. Not only is that unbelievably naive, but it just doesn't, simply doesn't work. Because each one of these supposed sources of the problems of society today, each one of them work the same way in reverse thereby completely nullifying themselves. So such and such a person 
Well, they do such bad things because they just had bad examples. They grew up seeing bad examples all the time. And that's why they do such bad things. That works a little bit until you come across the person who does just as bad things, but they grew up with good examples. They've had good examples their whole life. Well, well, their problem is that they just can't live up to the good examples around them. They feel inferior. They, they feel somehow just inferior to all the good examples around them. Or, or maybe they've had good examples, but they've seen their good examples fall short. So that's, that explains that. So you see, bad examples. Oh, oh well, no, not, they've got good examples. Well, here's why good examples also produce the same bad, bad behavior. It doesn't work. Environment. Well, this person does such evil things, such bad things, because they grew up in such a poor environment. They grew up in an environment of abuse and neglect. And Well, the problem is, all that works until you come across the one who does just as bad things and grew up in the best of environments. Well, for that person, the environment was too good. They got everything they wanted. They were never told no. They had all the resources available to them they ever wanted. And so that's why that person does such evil things. You see, it works both ways. Or what about education? Well, there's so much evil in the world because there's so much lack of education. If we could just advance education, then we could fix the problems of people and the problems of society. Well, once again, the problem is that works as long as you don't come across those who've had the advantage of all the education in the world and still do just such evil things. Well, this person's problem was that they, they lacked good education. They didn't have the opportunity for education. Well, this person over here, well, they, they were sent to the best Ivy League school. And well, I guess it turns out that at that Ivy League school, that's where they learned all the bad things that they know. You see? It works the same way for whatever you want to fill in that blank with. Because none of those things can come close to describing the world in which we live. All of those things play a role. And as Christians, we'd be foolish to deny that oh, all of those things play an important role. None of those things are the source for any evil behavior, any evil thoughts, any wickedness in society. None of it. Because Jesus says quite plainly, the source is the heart. The source is the heart. And as Jesus is describing this, He's not just describing the heart of some people. This is the really important part of the passage, I think, to get. When Jesus lists these sinful behaviors, Jesus isn't saying, oh, these are the sins of some wicked people. Let's look again at the passage. He says, Back to verse 18. Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person? So four times in the passage, once in verse 18, once again in verse 20, once again in verse 21, and again in verse 23, we see a person or a man. In Mark's original Greek, he uses the definite article. That doesn't show up in the English except... In the King James, it's one, uh, one of the times, I think in verse 23, the King James will use the definite article. And the NASB, we use the definite article. We don't use the definite article because it's hard to work. It just doesn't make good English. But Mark uses the definite article each time. The man, the man, the man, the man. 
What Jesus is saying is, I'm not describing some particular group of people. I'm describing humanity. I'm describing all of fallen humanity. All of these sinful practices are found in every human heart. All of them. That's what Jesus is saying. If you find that hard to accept, then let's just think about this for a minute. Most of us would come to this list and we perhaps would choose some of the more polite sins and, and we would give a nod to this one. Oh, yes, I've, of course, I've had evil thoughts and I believe, yeah, I probably have stolen something um, and I probably have, have lied before, before and of course, I've got pride in my heart, but I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. We would perhaps pick some of the nicer, more accepted, more polite sins. But few of us would look at this list and honestly, with eyes wide open, say that every single one of those describes me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Every one of those sins is found in every human heart. You say, I've never murdered anybody. Aside from the fact that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, of course, equates hatred in your heart to murder. I would still push back upon that and say the great majority of humans have never physically murdered another person for reasons other than the sin wasn't found in your heart. What I mean is this. In His grace and in His mercy, God has provided an enormous number of barriers that prevent us from sinning as much as we could. Even fallen human beings, fallen men and women, men and women who are not found in Christ, even they enjoy an enormous amount of grace from God in the sense that He withholds so many sins from them. How does He do this? Well, through the pressure of others, public public perception, or the fear of consequence, the dread of being discovered. If you search your heart close enough with honest enough eyes, you must say to yourself that there have been times in my life in which if I knew I would never be discovered, if I knew there were no consequences, if I knew no one would ever find out, I would have done harm to that person. All of us have that sin in our heart. It's the grace of God that so often restrains those sins by means of of the fear of discovery or the fear of consequences or the fear of losing reputation. But all of us, should the earthly consequences be removed, should we know without doubt we would never be discovered, never suffer any earthly consequences, we would all surprise ourselves, sadly so, at displaying the capacity to commit every one of these sins. Remember the story of Abimelech? Abimelech was the pagan king in Egypt, and Abram and Sarai go down there, and Abimelech thinks that Sarai is so pretty, he makes her one of his harem. But God prevents him from taking her unto himself because she was the wife of promise to Abraham. 
And then later we're told that Abimelech says, praise to God, he kept me from sinning. And he was no child of God. That's an example of the grace of God extended to all of humanity because all of humanity would be far more sinful than it really is should God remove the grace of cultural consequences, of civil consequences, of reputation consequences, of just sometimes the, the logistical difficulty of committing some of these sins. All of us without the grace of God would have committed all of these sins. But then, of course, it is the ultimate grace of God in the heart of the converted man and woman. And it is only that that truly begins to chip away at the heart that can sin in thought and attitude without ever being discovered, with no external consequences. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to your thought life when it comes to your inner attitudes, your inner emotions, they come without consequences by and large. And so it is in the realm of the inner sin that the Christian finds themselves largely without earthly barriers. And it's that inner realm of holiness that the Christian finds so difficult. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. They defile humanity. They defile all. They are the true defilers. I want to finish in verse 23 just by recognizing, of course, as he speaks of the heart here, the evil things come from within. They come from the heart. And that is where the defilement comes. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says to keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. This is truly the work of the believer, the work, the lifelong work of the Christian. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance for from it it flow the springs of life. In the grace of God, I've been blessed over the last week or so to have been reading a wonderful, a wonderful book by a Puritan by the name of John Flavel, who wrote in the 17th century. And in the Puritan way of writing, as we talked about this before, the, the wonderful Puritan way of writing was to take one verse of Scripture and turn it into a whole book by just taking that verse of Scripture and squeezing it and turning it and wrenching it every sort of way to squeeze from it every ounce of spiritual benefit possible. So, In this book I'm reading, the book is called Keeping the Heart. And he takes as that verse, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, keep with all diligence the heart, for from the heart flow all the things of life. I wish I could stand up here and read to you half the book because you really just need to experience it on your... But there's one selection. Let me just read this selection and just hear the importance. Just hear the intensity for the, for the believer to keep their heart. He begins by saying that keeping of the heart must begin with the conversion of the heart. No one can keep their heart before it's converted. You can't keep an unconverted heart. So you must be the recipient of the, of an act of the Holy Spirit, of the work of God upon your heart before you even have a heart to keep. But after that, he says, this being presupposed, it is not difficult to understand what it is to keep the heart. 
It is nothing less than the constant care and diligence of this type of renewed man to preserve and maintain daily his soul in that holy frame that grace has placed him in. For although grace has in great measure rectified the soul and given it a habitual and heavenly temperament, yet in practice sin often decomposes it again. In this way, even a gracious heart is like a musical instrument. No matter how perfectly it is tuned, a small matter brings it out of tune again before you can play another lesson on it. This is the case with the gracious hearts. By that he means the heart that has received grace. This is the case with gracious hearts. If they are engaged in one duty, yet how dull, dead, and disordered they are when they come to another. As a result, every duty needs a unique preparation of the heart. If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. Job 11 verse 13. Therefore, to keep the heart is to carefully preserve it from sin, which disorders it, and to maintain that spiritual and gracious disposition that fits it for a life of communion with God. Isn't that beautiful? That fits your heart for a life of communion with God. Keep your heart with all diligence. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 51 that we mentioned earlier. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit.